Thank you for tuning in to the 94th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app you are listening to me via. So I'm so terribly sorry. I want to apologize before we get the show on the road. Uh, haven't done a pod in a little while, six days. I know we've been doing three days a week normally that has not happened i want to apologize i lost my phone so it was kind of hard to conduct interviews so i just decided you know what we're just kind of just going to cut it for the week it it was too difficult uh and plus football's coming up and i was also having some ideas of kind of how i want the football coverage to be for the podcast when we have the nfl starting so i was just kind of getting that in order too and i'll probably talk about more about that next week and also by the way for next week we're going to have an nfl preview gonna have my guy kenny simon we've kind of already talked about this uh we're gonna have we're gonna go through the afc nfc we're gonna have our super bowl champs we're gonna go through all that so definitely gonna want to stay in tune for that next week that will probably be released on a wednesday friday but we're going to be going full steam ahead Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the NFL season. And there's going to be no off days. Going to have the football coverage, NFL, college football. We're going to talk NBA too. Any other, anything else that is pertaining to the world of sports, of course. And I want to uh, just let everybody know the guests we're going to have on for the podcast today. We're going to have Matt Verderam. He covers uh, the NFL, NFL uh, reporter for NFL fan side. Great interview. We talked about a lot of good stuff. We kind of talked about COVID, social justice, and sports. Then kind of got into Brady and Belichick. Who was more important to the New England dynasty? Patrick Mahomes, how he's viewed around the league. A guy like Lamar Jackson, too. We got into all of that. So really appreciate Matt coming on. And once again, just want to give a shout-out to Matt Verderam for coming on the podcast. And without ado, kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get to my interview with Matt Verderam. Barbershop Sports talking with a very special guest with us today. Matt Verderam covers the NFL for Fanside. How you doing, Matt? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. So the first thing I do want to talk to you about is we kind of had sports kind of take a backseat in a way we haven't seen in a while. We kind of saw baseball games get canceled, hockey games get canceled, the NBA had games canceled, I believe the MLS got canceled, uh, with another shooting, and we kind of saw these social justice issues flare up. And even in the NFL, I believe there were some practices that, that didn't happen. I think uh, Anthony Lynn, head coach for the Chargers, said they, instead of doing practice, they had like conversations on race. So I just want to know, what do you think are the possibility or the chances that we could see potentially a boycott in the NFL? I think it's 
slow, but I, I don't think you can completely rule it out. But we saw the NBA and the NBA have uh, situations where games got postponed. Uh, they will be, you know, played at some point. You know, baseball, the same thing. We've seen where teams are going to be playing some double headers. I don't know that in the NFL you're going to see that. It's only because I think the NFL has been very forward facing this offseason in terms of societal issues, which is a stark change and a sharp contrast from what we saw four years ago out of Commissioner Goodell and the rest of the league. So I think the players in the NFL feel like they're pretty back right now. Um, again, not impossible. I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of players did so here or there. Uh, but I think once week one comes around, I, I expect it. The games uh, will be played. Now I kind of want to shift to another issue that's been kind of plaguing the country that's really affected sports, COVID, right? So a lot of people have talked, right? Some people say the best way to do a professional sports league is the way the NBA and the MLS are doing it. They're in a bubble. Uh, hockey's doing it that way. You have the MLB who's deciding to not do it in the bubble. They're having cases. Uh, some teams have not been able to play. And the NFL is going to go on without a bubble. How do you think that works with the NFL? I think that it's easier and it's harder at the same point. So it's easier because you only have 15 games for team after eight on the road. So you're doing it for less time. And you know, with baseball, when they go on the road, uh, for example, I'm an Oakland A's fan, right? They're on the road for 10 straight games. So you're going to three different cities. You, you have a lot more contact with outside of your environment, so to speak. With football, you know, if, if the Ravens are playing the Steelers, they're going to get on the plane, it's been completely sanitized, they're going to land in the private tarmac, they're going to get out, they're going to get on a bus sanitized, and go to a sanitized hotel, and then they're going to go right from there, back on that sanitized bus to the stadium, and then right from the stadium, back on that same box and back on the private plane. So the big thing in the NFL is going to be guys not doing stupid things when they're on the road for that one night. And I think it's easier when you're only on the road for a night as compared to baseball, you know, on the road for a week, week and a half to shot. Um, I do think that helps the NFL. Now, I say it's harder because baseball typically, including roster staff, you're talking maybe 50 guys on the road for football is double that. I mean, football, you're talking more than that to the players and then training staff, coaching staff, front office, so on down the line. So I think the NFL's biggest thing is that the players have done a very good job so far here in camp of, of not going out and, and doing things that they shouldn't. But the big test is going to be when they hit the road. And I, I think most guys will be good. The question is how many stragglers will you have? How many people will test on that what did you think of it? Because I've heard some people mention the idea maybe the NFL should have done kind of regional bubbles. So, like, for a year you have, for example, uh, the Bills, uh, the the Giants, the Jets. They're all in a one, one, one little division. You, you, you separate it by division, right? You'd have the Cowboys and the Texans in their own division. Why don't you think the NFL kind of ever thought of that? Do you think that ever got legs at all? playing in a bubble, regional bubble, um, all those things come up. But there are a few logistical issues with the NFL playing in a bubble. So, for starters, hockey and basketball, it's a little bit different, right? They're already in the playoffs. Basketball didn't bring all their teams. Obviously, neither did, did they. 
you're playing a very few amount of games, and then other than more and more teams are going home. So, you know, hockey, I, I think it was even easier for them than basketball in some respects. With football, you you could do it, but you'd have to space the games out in a way because the fields are going to be ripped up to no end after one game. So you're not going to play a 1 o'clock game and then on that same field have a team play it. There's no way. The players you would never sign off on that. Whereas obviously it's not a problem in basketball. It's not a problem in hockey. So you would have to find a place where there's a lot of fields. And then you'd have to get into a situation where you could house everybody. And again, these are roster sizes that are twice or three times as much as some of these other sports. So I think there were more challenges with a bubble. And again, also not to be a dead horse here, but... The NFL, they travel for a day. They travel one night. In some cases, they may even just travel in the morning again, depending how far they are. That's not going to be the case in other sports. So I, I actually think the NFL is doing what is probably the easiest thing. They just have to depend on their players to be smart. And do you think it's going to be more like a next man up type of thing, right? So you get COVID, right? Yeah, that person has to quarantine. Just take people off the streets. You're just like if a regular team gets plagued by injuries. Exactly what happens with these teams. The NFL's not going to stop playing because eight guys on Pittsburgh get COVID. They're, they're not going to do that. The NFL is going to make $15 billion this year if not one fan walks through this turnstiles. They're not going to give up $15 billion because a couple guys went out to the club and got COVID. There's no way that's happening. So, exactly what you said, I believe, is going to be the scenario. You're in a situation where if a team has a couple guys get COVID, you're going to see aggressive testing. You're going to see contact tracing. You're going to see a, a complete uh, washing down of the facility. Anywhere that player has been, the other player has contact with. And once the team has quarantined, you know, whoever has the virus, then they're going to be able to continue. I, I don't think, the only time I think it's going to become a huge issue is either A, if you have this even massive outbreak, or B, uh, if, if a big-time quarterback has. Now, I don't think they play a game, but obviously that would significantly impact the schedule. I mean, re- the reality is, you don't want anybody to get COVID, of course, but if a, if a guard gets COVID, it's no different in terms of football as if the guy had a sprained ankle. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think the NFL is going to keep on rolling. And I've also heard kind of uh, ideas of maybe what, they, what the NFL could do is they could have a postseason bubble for the teams that make it into the playoffs? Is, is that something that could be a possibility? It is. It is a possibility. Again, you know, you, you have to think, you know, in basketball, in hockey, these teams are playing best of seven years. In baseball, they've talked a lot about a bubble because once you get past that, that initial best of three round where they're all going to be at the, the team with the better record to the better seed stadium, once you get past that, you get into the division series and the, and the AL and NL chances then you're going to have that typical best of five, best of seven, where teams are going to have to go across the country. If you have a situation where the Yankees are playing the A's, you're not going to want you know, those teams traveling across the country doing these types of things. I expect baseball to be in a bubble. But again, for football, you know, let's, let's say it's, I don't know, Green Bay is playing Seattle. Green Bay is just going to get in a plane on Saturday and get to Seattle and sit in a hotel and test Sunday morning and play. I don't think they're going to need a bubble. I'm not, I'm not ruling it out because you'd be a fool in 2020 to rule out anything the way this year has gone. But I 
really don't. I think they're pretty much going to play it straight up as is. Uh, and, and of course, too, monitor how the country's going with COVID. If there's a massive surge of flu season, well, you may have to adjust. But uh, I think as of now, the plan is just to play the game as you normally would, and obviously the, the fans being the big difference. So, as a result of with COVID, right, it's also affecting college, right? The Big Ten and uh, the Pac-12 are not playing as as a least of, of right now. Uh, the SEC and ACC and Big 12, I mean, who knows if they're going to finish their season. How are people in the NFL looking at it in terms of, right, the draft? Like, how, are scouts going to be allowed to go to games? Are they going to send their scouts out there? How, how's all that going to work? Are they going to value the draft as much in years past? Like, how do you think all that's going to work? Because we kind of saw how COVID kind of altered the draft this year, where we didn't see as much trades as usual, particularly in the first round, how much do you think all that is going to affect this upcoming draft? So, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's one of uh, teams probably a little bit each their own. I would expect that most teams are not going to send their scouts all over the place. I don't think they're going to do it for two reasons. One, you're putting the scout at risk. Two, you put the team at risk. The scout comes off. So, I think what's going to happen, these games are going to get played in college. And teams are going to request the film from the schools, which they do anyway. But I think they're just going to have a lot more in-house scouting. And, you know, listen, the reality is these general managers, these upper-tier scouts, they've got relationships with all these guys. they got relationships all over the place in these Power 5 conferences. So they're going to be able to watch the film, call up a coach, call up an AD. You know, they're, they're going to you know, call up a position coach. They're going to get the lowdown. They're going to get what they need. I, now, the, the bigger question is, let's say the Big Ten doesn't play. And I know right now they're in discussions about maybe playing later on. We'll see. But if they don't play, what do you, how do you evaluate Justin Fields? Right? For example, like he plays in Ohio State. How do you evaluate him? You evaluate him the same as you would if you just look at the 2019 tape and say, well, okay, that's what we're getting. Do you assume he's better? Because you would have had him be under belt, he's going to be worse because you didn't play for a year, and you might have to coach him up that on the boards that he's going to have some rust. You know, compared to a guy Trevor Lawrence, who coaches, they are planning on playing. Right? So there's just so many questions, and I think it's a it's a team by team approach. I don't think they're going to have a one size fits all, but I think it's going to be a lot of calling coaches, calling players, directors, and calling for tape. I think that is going to be universal. Do you think there could be any way that, I've also heard this, that potentially they could shorten the draft? Like, if less, less players for some reason come out because they want another year to prove themselves, because like, they'll probably get an extra year of eligibility, that maybe instead of seven rounds, it could be five? You know, I haven't heard anything like that. Um, I, I don't expect it. You know, it's anything again in this year. You have to figure it's not going to take. I would expect the draft to be seven rounds. I would think that it will still be the same. Um, and you're probably just going to see more undrafted free agents prosper next year because guys are going to flip through cracks. But this year is a perfect event. Joe Burrow was a consensus number one overall pick. If Joe Burrow had come out the year prior, Joe Burrow would have been a day three pick. Who would have thought of Joe Burrow? So, you may have a situation where some kid at any position ends up being a fifth round or sixth round. Well, let's say he's an egg crusher. Maybe, maybe in his junior year or his sophomore year, the kid is 6'4", 250 pounds, and he's just trying to find his, his you know, maturity in terms of his body size and everything else. 
and during the season where he would have been playing, well, he's not playing, but he's been training like a maniac. He's been working hard. He put up 20 pounds of muscle. Now he's a complete machine, right? Well, no one's going to know that. Right? Or you're going to have a couple of teams that know it because they get no team play, I don't know, uh, Iowa. The, the, the team gets in touch with uh, Kirk Ferentz and says, hey, what, uh, you know, what's going on in your program? And, and, and they say, hey, look, man, we got this guy who is just absolutely a game changer. He's completely changed his body. Well, maybe if they played, he would have been a top 10 pick. But now he's going to go in the third round because the team got a tip. They're going to, they're going to draft him. So I think the biggest difference is these teams that have ends with college coaches that have reliable information, they're going to crush the draft. And teams that have a new front officer, teams don't have much experience, they may have a harder time. Okay, now I want to go to football for a minute. So, right, this offseason we had Patrick Mahomes sign uh, almost like a $500 million contract, 10 years. Uh, and I think really the interesting about it is, right, I always think that, like, Patrick Mahomes, he's the evolution of what people thought Aaron Rodgers was about 10 years ago. So I just want to know, as somebody that talks to people, how, is Patrick Mahomes, when, 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 when GMs, when scouts, when people talk in the NFL and they're like, what's our ideal quarterback? Is it Patrick Mahomes? Most people in the league that I spoke to after he signed a 12-year, $503 million contract. Now, the extension was 10 and 477, but overall it's 12 and 503. The man signed for more than half a billion dollars. And I talked to a couple of people who immediately were like, man, she's got a great deal. He's on the pay. I mean, that is impossible to think. But I actually agree with them. Like, Kansas City actually did a really good job with structuring that contract. They're not going to be hamstrung. Um, and of course, look, Mahomes, if you're him, it's generally well to sign that contract in two seconds. So it's a win-win on both sides. But yes, I think any general manager, I'll put it this way. I think you could acquire any player in the league from any team other than him. I'm not saying it'd be easy, but you could trade for Aaron Donald. You give up enough draft cards to even do it. You could trade for. Russell Wilson, as great as he is. You have three four first-round picks. You might be able to do it. Lamar Jackson, I think, you know, he, he probably do the next one because he's so young. Um, but maybe there's concern about how the way he plays. He's a durability concern. I'm aligned. You know, I, I don't know. He might be the only other guy to make the argument for, but I think there's a price. I don't know that there's any price that the Chiefs would accept. I really, like, I really believe, knowing some people in Kansas City, I don't think a team could offer them eight first-round picks in every day. And, and that is astounding, but it really it goes to show how valuable Mahomes is. I think most teams when we look at Mahomes essentially say, whatever team he's on, they're going to be a football contender for the next 12 to 15 years. He is, you know, he gets lost in the shuffle. He's got this great arm. And everybody knows he can throw the ball 80 yards in the air or what have you. The thing that gets lost with him is how good he is processing the defense in front of him. How good he is with his accuracy. Not only how deep balls on intermediate and short throws, how mobile he is. We saw on that famous run in the AFC title game. He does put it all together. He's been a leader both on the field and then recently off. Obviously, the Black Lives Matter video that he did. Um, he's been the ideal player. He's the new face of the NFL. And certainly, yeah, he just hands the city a massive leg up. And I think both teams would tell you that pretty openly. So, in the NFL, it's more so. It's who's the second best quarterback. Like, Patrick Holmes is clearly number one in most people's eyes. Yes, yes. I, I, think, I think most people in the NFL, first of all, I think the university, they tell you Mahomes is the best quarterback. 
second, I think most people, in terms of just the overall player, think Russell Wilson is it probably Lamar Jackson. I mean, most most evaluators in the NFL will give you that hierarchy, one, two, three. Now, after that, it depends how you feel. You know, do you bump Brady up there because he's only 43? Do you still bump Brady? Do you bump Deshaun Watson up there, who's phenomenal? I personally watch him as a top five guy. Um, some people do, some people don't. You know, Breeze, he's another one. Um, you, you can throw him in the conversation. I think Wench and back are more top 10 ish, top 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. I think most people think Aaron Rodgers still top five quarterback. Um, you know, his numbers maybe aren't as crazy as they used to be, but he's still phenomenal. So I think most GMs, scouts, player personnel directors would give you Mahomes, Wilson, Jackson, and then after that, I think it's pretty up to the main. And I also want to know, how do people view Lamar, too? Because Lamar, right, like, the thing about Patrick Mahomes, why I think people love Patrick Mahomes, is he's athletic, he has the arm, he has the accuracy, he can kind of do everything. Uh, Lamar's a guy that, he's not a bad thrower, but what makes him special is the fact that he's the most athletic guy on the field. So, and and which is a little bit different from the quarterback positions, it's kind of more of a college-slash-high school style where you're like, we're pitting our best athlete at quarterback, and that's how we're going to beat you. How do people view that? Is it more of a my cup of tea type of thing are people kind of coming around and being like we can sustain winning like this I think it's a combination I'd say maybe nowadays it's a little bit more the latter than the former but some, some teams strictly want a guy who can who can win consistently from the pocket first of all I say every team wants that but, but there are teams out there that, that want guys that 90% of the time they're shooting in that pocket throwing the ball Tom Brady type quarterback however I would say that more teams are not now, uh, and, and trending this direction as well. They want guys at quarterback who can move around. Not necessarily in the largest amount of yards and sacks, but they want guys with mobility. You see Mahomes, you see Wolf, you see Zach. Now, the next guy is nowhere near that, that level, but someone like Josh Allen, who has a lot of athleticism, get out, he plays with these big arms. You know, teams want that, and it makes sense. Offensive line play coming out of college is not as good as you college football teams, it's a lot of spread offense, a lot of playing out of the gun, first read throws, and the offensive linemen are not as pumped. On the flip side, you've got these freaks who play defensive ends who run a 4 5 40 and are 270 pounds, and you've only got a couple seconds to throw the ball. And, got, and you know, coaches, okay, you can chip with a back, you can chip with a tight end, guys don't want to leave those, those weapons in, they want to get them out to the pass pattern. So, it's incumbent upon the general manager to find the quarterback who's got some mobility in it, even a guy like a Dak or even Carson Wentz, like we talked about, to get out and make plays that something. Aaron Rodgers is another guy who is certainly like that in the past, still is to some degree. So I think the Kirk Cousins style of play, Wise and Cousins is a good quarterback, is kind of dying out a little bit. Jackson, of course, shows you mental. He's, he's an exceptionally rare athlete. He is the closest thing I've seen in my years to Michael Vick. He gets out, he's a nightmare to defend. The biggest thing with Jackson is making that next step. He's making that next step from he's a key a good throw of the football. But he's gotta become a really good throw of the ball. I think Baltimore did him a disservice by not adding any receivers. But that to me is the next that to me is what separates you and Mahomes right now. Is if you put if you can contain Mahomes in the pocket, he can still kill you. He can still throw for four hundred yards, four touchdowns and light you up. If you contain Jackson, he's still effective, but he's not devastating. So, and, and again, you also look at the weapons that both guys are working with, but that's 
that's, I think, you know, where most teams come down on it. And I kind of want to go to uh, New England now. So you have Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. They part ways. I just want to know for you, at, at what point, because at one point in time, people were like, those two, they're, they're together forever. They win so much. At what point were you kind of hearing or, or were you kind of thinking to yourself, okay, there could be some legs to this, right? Like there was the whole thing about Brady that I think he put his house up for sale. Uh, his contract yeah. was in. They, could, they couldn't franchise him. Like there was talk about that in the beginning of the year. When for you, were you kind of like, Okay, maybe there's something going on. Was it like when Seth Wickersham dropped his bomb a couple years ago about the whole Jimmy G thing? When for you was it like, okay, there could be a parting of the ways. A divorce could happen. I don't know if there was one moment, but as the year wore on last season, and they just could not score, I thought to myself, this is probably it. I really did. I, I felt there was a good chance at that juncture Brady would leave. And, and it was easier things. You don't know... Sometimes if it's just talk or if it's really legitimately, hey, this is real, he's going to leave. And I think it's, it's a reality, too, that they've been together for so long. It, you almost have to see the divorce to believe it. Um, but I thought last season watching them, even though, like, for example, they played Dallas. Now, it's bad weather, but they couldn't score. They won the game because the defense is great. And Gilmore had a great game against Prescott. And, and they couldn't score. Then they went up to Philly. And then again, they won, but they couldn't score a point. Then they came home, they played the Chiefs, and they couldn't score. They just did nothing. They couldn't move the ball all game. And then you know, you're watching that playoff game in Tennessee, and they can't move the ball. They just could not score. And there was a point in the game where, God bless them, but Landon Roberts, who's a good linebacker, is in there playing fullback, getting the ball on fourth and one. I think it was just you looked at it, and to me, I just from you know doing doing research, I knew the Pats cap was going to be tight. I, I knew that if they were going to sign Brady, they were going to let everybody else go to the free agent. And if they did that, they just weren't going to have anybody to put around him. So I'm not shocked. I thought by about maybe I'd say December of last year, I, I thought that it was more likely than not that he was going to you know, take off and, and ride into the sunset somewhere else. How shocking was that Seth Wickersham piece to you when everybody kind of talked about that there's kind of all this turmoil? Because you never really hear this stuff from the Patriots. How shocking was that for you? I know this is kind of an odd answer, but I wasn't really surprised. And not because of it, it happening in New England, but just because that stuff happens everywhere. You know, if you've ever worked somewhere in your life where people around you feel like they're successful and you feel like you're successful, you all have egos. I mean, even you know, like I, I think everybody does to some extent. You you have to to be successful, in my opinion. You have to be a jerk about it, but you have to think you're good at what you do um, to, to be as great as you can be. And certainly in the NFL, those guys, and rightfully so, they have huge egos. And when you get to guys like Brady and Belichick, who are the greatest to ever do it, the egos are just absolutely enormous. You know, Tom Brady may be a great guy. Tom Brady is not going to sit in his chair at night and go, you know, thank God for Belichick or I wouldn't have won. He's sitting there and going, you know, Belichick would have thank God for me every night because I'm the win. And Belichick, I'm sitting there going, you know what, we won six Super Bowls, but I also won two as a coordinator with the Giants. I know I, I had a great defense here early on the first time we, we won three out of four. So I think it's, I think it's almost more surprising when you have these great teams and there's no egos. Those are the teams. Like right now the Chiefs, everybody thinks the Chiefs are going to be the next time. Right now, 
So maybe they won't be, maybe they won't be. Right now, it's cool by in Kansas City. Everybody loves everybody. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes are like best friends. That's great. Maybe that continues. If it does, it's going to be a magical decade in Kansas City. But it wouldn't shock me in four or five years if you start getting those same conversations of, well, who's more important? Is it Reid or is it Mahomes? Well, you know, then, then, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe divisions start sitting in, or maybe some guys in that team, like Tyree Killer, Travis Thompson, say, what about me, man? I'm a Hall of Fame level player. I think it's just, it's hard. And you've really got to be able to set your ego aside. And some guys can't. Some guys can't. I think in Brady and Belichick's case, 20 years. That's a long, long time to work together and not start to have some, some conflict. How do people look at the split of Brady and Belichick? Is it more? So, do, do people do people kind of say like, okay, it, it was obviously more Bill that kind of made this thing go, or more people kind of like on the Brady side, like it was Brady. He was the one that kind of masked the offensive weaknesses. There were years when New England they had a terrible defense. I really think genuinely it's about split down the middle. I think there are some guys in the league who say, you know what, Belichick never won a damn thing until Brady showed up. And you know, a lot of people say, you know, by the time Belichick figured it out, he had the great defense with Bruschi and Rabel and Harrison and Seymour and Law and Malloy. Yeah, he, he could have won a Super Bowl with John Kittman. I, I, I don't know. I, I am of the opinion they're both great. And that's why that team was so great for 20 years. Like, to me, when you're a great, all-time great team, it's because you're unbelievable, right? Like, look, we just all saw the last dance documentary, which is phenomenal. Yes, Jordan was the best player. Without Jordan, that thing doesn't go. Now, basketball, of course, is a little bit different than football in that regard, but Jordan doesn't win all those titles if he doesn't have Scotty Pippen. And if they don't have the right coach in Phil Jackson. I mean, heck, look, at, look at the Lakers a couple of years later, right, with Shaq and Kobe, one of the great duos of all time. But early on, they didn't win until Phil got there. And then they won. So I, I think Sometimes people always want to figure out who's, who deserves most of the credit or most of the planning. In those kinds of cases, I always think that it's it's a combination. If you don't have that combo, you're not going to win. Well, you're only going to have it 20 years and they want a lot. And my last question for you is this. Just give us a story, an uh, interesting storyline that you think is kind of going under the radar that you think could develop as the NFL season goes on this year. Um. I think, look, I'll steer clear of COVID stuff. I'll, I'll just give, like, a contractual thing. I think one thing to watch this year is Zach Ertz in Philadelphia. Zach Ertz is, is, to me, on a Hall of Fame track. He's been a very, very good player. In fact, no Titans ever had four catches in the first seven years of Zach Ertz. Had. Um, he is in a situation where his contract is through this year and next season. But he just saw Travis Kelsey and George Kittle get paid. And they were both in situations that two years left. So I, I think it bears watching what happens in Philly. But my understanding is they love Dallas Goddard. They think Goddard's going to be a great player. They are also in a situation where they we don't know exactly what the cap's going to shake out. They're going to be anywhere from 50 to $75 million over the cap. I mean, they're going to have to come pay a lot of guys. And they're going to be creative. They're going to be in a situation where they can cut a bunch of guys and shave $50 million off the payroll. That's not the case. Kyle Rose is going to have to work. They are in a bad, bad cap spot. So they could extend Ertz and maybe even lower that number next year, help him out, and keep him, or they let him walk. I would watch closely the next couple of weeks. If they don't sign him before the season starts, 
I think there's a real chance this is it for Zach Ertz in Philadelphia. That they would go with Goddard, that they would cut Zach Ertz at the end of the year, and that Ertz could be a very, very sought-after player. So, um, for any team that needs a tight end, or if you're an Eagles fan, listening, look, I, I would really keep an eye on him. Because he is, he is a top-notch tight end, and if he hits the market, he is going to get paid a boatload of money. So, let's see if Philadelphia the next couple of weeks, if, if they can bridge that gap, and make something happen. I, I, I know that Earth loves it in Philadelphia, but at the same point, this is a chance for his big payday. I don't think he's going to miss it one way or the other. Thank you, Matt, for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. Take care. And once again, I want to thank Matt Verderam of uh, NFL Fan Side, covers them, for coming on the pod. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks again, everybody, for uh, tuning into this episode, the 194th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.